Hello there, everybody. It's Sarah Hanchar, the host of Hi, I Think You're Nice, the podcast where I speak to a nice person about nice things for about an hour. And today my guest is David Capocci. He is one of the owners of Packer Pride, an alpaca guest ranch up in the Cascade Mountains here in Washington. And it's a fascinating place. It's a demonstration farm. He can show you and tell you all about permaculture and about the alpaca and a very adorable and fluffy llama named Mucho, and plus chickens and the occasional rooster. It's a really cool place. It is a it's a, a ranch and a farm and a meadow and it's also a campground and a guest ranch. There's a guest house. There's a yurt. Patrick and I have stayed at that yurt and it is mwah, so much fun. The best time ever. In fact, we can't wait to go back again. The, the yurt is warm and comfortable and adorable and the facilities on site are uh, amazing. If you are a rustic kind of camper, this is camping made easier because it's lovely and terrific and it has a yurt. I highly recommend going to packapride.com and check it out for yourself. Boo-doo-doo. Yeah. There's something that I think is especially nice that David and the folks at Packapride do is in the fall, uh, when it's harvest time, they raise an extra batch of meat chickens and they donate uh, the food from those chickens and the a bountiful harvest that they have uh, to families in need, which I think is really amazing and generous. And I really want to celebrate the fact that they do that. And you know what? They've been up there for 15 years working hard doing doing this uh, permaculture ranch, this guest ranch. Uh, so they have people they deal with and kids that come visit and girls. Girl Scout troops and people like me and Patrick who are like, we just want to chill in the woods for a while and maybe go on a walk by a nice river. These are all things that you can do there, which is totally rad. So I promise I am saying this out of the love in my heart and for zero other reason. Anyway, so I hope you check it out. And I think you're also going to really enjoy this episode. You can tell how passionate David is about this. He loves his work and there's a lot of work to love. Hey, I have a quick question for you. Do you have a phone? Okay, could you look at your phone real quick? Cool, cool, cool. Okay, now, um, is that phone an iPhone? Oh, it is. Oh, look at you. Cool, cool, cool. If you could just swing on over to iTunes, okay? I'll just wait. Are you there? Great. And if you could just put in, hi, I think you're nice, uh, and search for podcasts for, hi, I think you're nice, that's this podcast. You're listening to it right now. Um, yeah, go ahead. Look for it. Do, 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 do. Am I there? You found it. Great. Could you please do me a huge favor and give me five stars and maybe even throw me a review? That would mean the world to me. It absolutely helps me out uh, and helps this podcast grow and get into more ears, which is the dream and the hope. Then what I want to be when I grow up is a podcaster. Ooh. And as you know, you can always find me on Facebook. I think you're nice. And Instagram. I think you're nice. On Facebook, I still have some fun prompts on there for you to follow along. Um, I have way more information about David and Packa Pride. I have all kinds of wonderful things going on, and I'm excited to share that with you. So you can find me there on Facebook and Instagram with the handle, I think you're nice. And you know what? Every now and again, I even tweet, and you can guess it, I think you're nice. And guess what? I think you're nice. All right. Uh, you didn't see it, but I raised my arms to the sky and a confetti cannon went off. It was pretty cool. So <laughs> I hope you guys have a wonderful day and I hope you enjoy this very special episode of Packer Pride with David. Enjoy. Hi. 
I think you're nice, why hi? I think you're nice, let's have a seat and let's have a nice time. I think you're nice. So let's chat, so let's chat, so let's chat. I think you're nice, so let's chat. Doo 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 doo. Hi, Sarah. How are you, David? I'm doing well. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time to talk to me yes. today. Fabulous. On Hi, I Think You're Nice, the podcast where I speak to a nice person about nice things for about an hour. Remind me and I'll give you a sticker. It's in my purse. Um, and today, David, what is your last name? My last name's Capocci. Capocci. And I'm one of the owners here at Pack a Pride Guest Ranch. Yes. And that's where we're recording like live, on the spot, on location. In an actual Lincoln Log home. Here. In a Lincoln Lincoln Log Home. Uh, yeah. Actual log Home that we built here from a kit. Really? Yes. From a kit? From a kit home, yeah. And of course, Lincoln Logs is no longer uh, in existence here. We're one of the last remaining Lincoln Log Homes to have been built in this fine nation of ours because Lincoln Logs as a company kind of went belly up with oh, the downturn no. of the economy when we were just building everything on the ranch. So, oh, so you have yeah. like the last... One of the last ones. One of the last. Yes, exactly. Uh, I, I, guess, I guess when I think of Lincoln Log, I purely only think of the... Kids' toy, and they're the ones who made the toys. We've got a can of them over here in no, the front room. No, you do. Yeah, yeah. Can Lincoln Logs came from the company. Oh my god! Every time you build a log home, right. you get a little toy. Get a little, get a Lincoln Log toys that they also built. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, how long have you been out here? Well, we bought this land in two thousand five. It was 17 acres of just previously logged property that had overgrown itself from the previous owner's logging efforts in 1998. So they logged in 98, we bought it in 2005, and we had all this brush and logging debris uh, overgrowth that we had to deal with in order to kind of step the land back a little bit Mm -hmm. uh, and manage it to a mountain meadow architecture. And then we just kind of focused uh, kind of making that mountain meadow ecology uh, even more robust and uh, bring forth sort of a really good, resilient farm or approach to farming. After all, we were going to be open to the public here. We might yeah. have a demonstration farm. We better have everything pretty transparent and yeah. customer-facing on a farm. So we try to make that narrative of what's happening here very approachable to the public. It is. It's what I. It's wilderness out here for listeners who don't know. Like we're up in what part of the Cascades are we? Yeah, in? Yeah, this is actually right at the edge of the National Forest here, the uh-huh. uh, Snoqualmie Mount Baker National Forest. And uh, it's outside of Granite Falls, Washington, so we're seven miles outside of town, right at the border of the National Forest. So it literally is this, this area, this National Scenic Byway that we're on here is known for three things, timber, gravel, and tourism. The big three. Yeah, when you come out here, you're seeing all this old secondary growth, pine forest, yeah. rainforest out here. Uh, you'll see, uh, you'll pass several quarries coming out to us as well. And then there's the National Forest, which is known for all of its uh, camping and hiking trails out here, which is kind of how we got our start. Uh, 14 more miles further up the road here, before we thought about yurts and alpacas here, uh-huh. and let's start a guest ranch. Yeah. We actually had cut our teeth here uh, on this same National Scenic Byway, the Mountain Loop Highway, at Triangle Recreation Campground. Uh, it's a LGBT community campground, yeah. 14 more miles further up the road near Silverton. We, we actually drove by there. I took my family to um, Big Four, and then on the way back, I saw the sign. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, 
gosh, there That's is. That's TRC, yeah. I've heard, I, I have lots of friends who have gone there and sing its praises. It's kind of like Swiss Family Robinson meets Priscilla Queen of the <gasps> Desert sort of thing. Oh my God. Sort of like. That's the dream. <laughs> if, if Burning Man uh, sort of had a love child with Priscilla Queen of the Desert, it would be TRC, really. Uh, they're known for some that's of the uh, great parties. We had an awesome time up there. And that's where we actually started taking our little yurt. Uh, we would take it in March through October, set it up on one of the semi-permanent campsites there, okay. uh, and come out here from Capitol Hill every weekend would be our little getaway, our summer getaway. And we fell in love with both yurt camping yeah. and the Mountain Loop Highway and saw all this untapped traffic. It basically was all these people driving on the road at the time, 2004's traffic study was 250,000 cars per year on this road. Okay. Ten years later, the traffic study is 450,000 cars per year on the road. So lots of growth, lots of outdoor recreational enthusiasts, but nothing capturing that traffic. It was all hiking trails and primitive campgrounds. Yeah. And here we were staying in our little yurt, loving it. We're like, wow, there's something to this whole glamping thing. And we found that uh, campgrounds bringing yurts onto their property had a good increase in their revenue streams. So we're like, there's a business plan here. And we wrote it in 2004. And we said, you know what? We're going to bring our version of glamping to the public. But we're going to do so on the reinvention of a family farm so that we can kind of show all these natural farming techniques in action. Because at the time, everybody was starting to talk about locovore movements, green principles, sustainability, yada. Yeah, we're mm-hmm. like, okay, let's show it in action. We're going to head for the hills and bring the public with us. <laughs> that, that's amazing. <laughs> did you did you know did you know any of this beforehand? Did you learn it all on the fly? Did you learn how to just all of this just like, oh, like I'm buying the land, done. Okay, now I need to do this with the land. I need to learn that. Or did you have a background in this at all? No, you know what? I, uh, the background, I, I've had a, uh, a bunch of different backgrounds, so to speak. In, in, a, in a way, it's uh, uh, a lot of different chapters in life that you kind of have like, these experiences and all of a sudden they culminate and you're like, oh, I'm pulling from a lot of these different experiences. And that's sort of what we pull from it with this nice. project as well. Yeah. Uh, right before we did this, no, I was in corporate America, IT, senior IT strategist at a large insurance company in in Seattle. Uh, and we were doing IT change management and yeah, all the fun stuff you do in IT. So I'm a classically trained systems analyst that went from IT computer systems to homestead systems. Perfect. But found a school of thought in agriculture called permaculture, uh-huh. which saw the farm as a system. So it kind of spoke my language a little bit. And I gravitated to that framework model for sort of farming yeah. uh, because they saw the, the, the farm as existing in an ecological system. So instead of learning a new programming language, I just needed to learn plant identification and <laughs> my skill sets poured it over here. I manage a homestead system yeah. rather than an IT computer system in that regard. Uh, another portion of this puzzle was just my childhood. and uh, I'm first generation American, mm-hmm. uh, born and raised in Port Chester, New York as a child. Uh, very steeped in uh, one foot and steeped in old school Italian culture because uh-huh. all these folks came over for, on the boat from Italy. They were immigrants. Uh, and I was the first one born in America in my family. Were you really? So I had all Aww. these old school Italian skill sets growing up around us. Uh, that, that included large gardens and food preservation sure. and wine making, sausage making, all the cooking you can imagine. 
kind of everything that homesteaders are doing now. Yeah. We were doing as sort of first generation American Italians <laughs> in, in <laughs> suburb New York, you know, yeah. kind of thing. So we pulled upon that as well. You had to learn everything about alpacas. That was brand new to us. But yeah. a funny story about that is when we started thinking about how we would package this and we thought, oh, well, the reinvention of a family farm could be really how we put forth the pastoral scene out mm-hmm. here. Then we were saying, well, what kind of farm animals did we want to get? And we were like looking at different ones for this mountain environment. And the traditional animals just weren't cutting it. There's a lot more infrastructure involved needing to kind of take goats through the wintertime, say, in the mountains. Oh, okay. Or sheep in the winter. You needed to bring them inside. You know? Oh, yeah. Whereas, you know, when we kind of went around to different farms, I, I, I one thing I had at the top of my list, I said, I don't care what we get. I want a llama. <laughs> I said, hey, I'm going to have a llama. I want a llama. I want a llama. I don't care. Get goats, sheep, whatever, but we're going to have a llama. And I was like, I must have been like some previous life encounter. I was an Incan Mayan priestess. I don't know. Had a llama, you know, sweater, whatever. Yeah. So, yes, I was like, I want a llama. That led us to alpacas. Okay. Once we put on our first pair of alpaca socks, we were like, there, what's this about? Yeah. <laughs> and then we saw these animals and how unique they were. Very gentlemanly farmer animal, perfectly suited for a mountain environment, very light on the land. And one of the rare animals that bring abundance to the environment, depending on how you run them here, they can yeah. actually build tilth on a gravel pit for us here. That's so amazing. we're using them to bring abundance to an uh, alpine meadow ecology here. And keeping us uh, from succession in that ecology, from going from meadow back to forest here, yeah. with the insertion of these browsers who graze it uh, a little bit here, kind of keep us in a nice mountain cycle, a mountain meadow cycle out here. Very healthy. I was, I love the the phrase gentlemanly animal. Like, is that is that your phrase, or is that like what they're called? It's the perfect in gentlemanly farmer animal. So if you're really? gonna have like a gentleman's farm, yeah, a gentleman, some, you know, out there. <laughs> You might as well get far. You want to get an animal that uh, specifically are communal dung pile animals. Let me yes. tell you, if you're gonna pick between oh. sheep and goats, goats. Here, here's my gay sensibilities for okay. you. Okay, I'm like, with you. I walk on a farm and I'm like, oh, these are goats. Oh, look, they're pooping everywhere. My God, there's poop everywhere. Oh, Gross. forget that about it. But with alpacas, they're communal dung pile animals. Yeah. They pick a spot and they all go poop in that one spot. And I'm like, I'm there. Okay. <laughs> I'll take the alpacas. <laughs> They poop in one spot. Oh, that's perfect. perfect. There, that's perfect for us. That's, that's way easier. So to deal indeed, with. indeed, they, they sort of had a, a, a bunch of pluses that came along with them, including uh, dung pile habits. But you know, their fiber is softer than cashmere. It's warmer yeah. than wool. It's hypoallergenic. We saw all this uh, opportunity in the alpaca industry. Not to get into it on a breeder's perspective, but to actually position ourselves to take the rejects from the breeding herds. Oh. The, only the boys that would have been put down at another breeding farm yeah. uh, at a young age for their meat and for their pelts. We take okay. them on and give them full life as fiber alpacas here. And so we were able to kind of take unwanted animals and not really put a lot of investment in those animals in terms of... Uh, buying them for top dollar because yeah. you know they're unwanted already. We can get them for free or for token value. Okay, and then we could raise them and still get their fiber and vertically integrate them by every year yeah. by shearing them and turn that into yarn and making hats and products that way. Or we could sell fiber to a vendor and such like that. But primarily, we could use these animals to build our land and again bring abundance to the, the property here, which is basically a quarry pit. Okay, so they they eat the grass because I've seen you. Because 
I've stayed here before and you opened up the land. So like they, they go in different places, right? Do you send right. them? That's called different... rotational grazing. So okay. what we do is we sort of cross fence a lot of our mountain meadow areas down to the smallest unit that we can put the whole herd on at once and kind of mob graze that okay. unit in there. And then we rest that area and let it recover or sometimes follow that grazing with the cycle of a, the rotation of a chicken tractor. That's a a movable coop that performs all the roles of a real tractor in the field (laughs) using chicken feet to rake out mosses and spread manure piles and leave a lovely fertilizer behind. And then once the chicken tractor is done, we usually rest that uh, uh, pasture grazing unit and let it recover. And there's a good, usually a good bounce from that chicken poop. I'll uh, say. Yeah, that's then, really yeah, fertile, isn't it? A couple of weeks later, we can actually regraze it there. And so we do that with all of our grazing so that the land is not overgrazed mm-hmm. and it actually can develop into a very mature meadow sort of uh, architecture out there. That's important. And I say architecture because mm-hmm. that I really mean a, a framework of plants that are interacting together and uh, uh, animals and uh, decomposers in that cycle. So when we look at a meadow, we're actually looking at three different components. The producers, which are all the things that grow in that meadow, from grasses and clovers and uh, nutrient accumulator plants, such as dandelion and chickweed, the things that people kill in their lawns, (laughs) plantain and chicory, other things we add, as well as foxglove even, which is a poisonous plant. It is a poison. Don't eat that. It's beautiful, that, though. But it's a nutrient accumulator plant, part of the meadow flowers that we can utilize out here. Uh, and then we also have some carbon massing with some grain growing as well with barley uh, that, that we add to our fields to sprout as well. But all of that kind of fits into the framework of a, uh, the producers of a mountain meadow. And then you got the consumers of the mountain meadow, and that's your alpacas and the chickens. The alpacas come on in, do their grazing. They're the consumers. Boom. And the chicken tractor come on in. They consume a little bit and leave their lovely poop. Both animals leave yeah. their poop behind. And that leads to the third cycle, the decomposers. Mm-hmm. So I used to tease out here, hey, I'm going to be an alpaca farmer. Then I was like, oh, well, nobody told me I had to be a grass farmer too. And then I was like, hey, I'm a grass farmer. I've got the producers and the consumers going. But then I had to learn all about the decomposers as well, the soil food web cycle and keeping that all healthy. And so really when I learned to be a grass farmer, what I was learning is all about being a microbe farmer. So I was like, oh, I've got to learn how to manage my microbes. Getting smaller. Yeah, getting smaller. smaller. It was all about managing your earthworms and microbes of the soil and not adding chemical-based herbicides and pesticides or even outside fertilizers that are petroleum-based. Because that burns out uh, that soil food web cycle, those microbes in the soil. And if you can get a healthy soil food web cycle with producers, consumers, and decomposers, then you've got a resilient uh, mountain meadow in place. And we do that with permaculture because permaculture is all about putting Mother Nature front and center Mm -hmm. and relegating the human to manage the edges of things. And we learn, quite frankly, how to nudge our edges to keep everything in balance. So as the consumers get out there and graze the alpine meadow and we then give it a rest and let it recover, we're keeping ourselves in that very resilient mountain meadow and preventing succession to the forest. And it all works just mostly by allowing Mother Nature to do the work there and the human sort of 
kind of managing when to put things sure. in different places very, very much. Do you have a calendar? Do you have like a, like what, when you look at the fields each day and like what needs to be done or do you just go by what it looks like or how it feels that day? Yeah. You know, there's, it's funny how we want to put things on a schedule or a yeah. routine or a calendar. It's very human of us to yeah. kind of do. But uh, uh, after a while of doing this, uh, you learn that there's a, a certain cycle to Mother Nature out here. And it's, it's, uh, we know the seasons, but usually there's the cycle to Mother Nature happens in about two to three week cycles. There's a two to three week cycle of everything out here. Okay. And every two weeks, something new begins or some change happens mm-hmm. out here as, it, as the season progresses. And so we actually tune ourselves into those cycles. They're most visible in the spring where every two weeks or so a new insect uh, comes out. Oh. Like we have the, the two-week period of the big black carpenter ants that visit out here. Okay. Or the two-week period of the flying ants. and Or the, the couple-week <laughs> period of the horse flies and the deer fly. You know, those yeah. are, but you'll see them kind of phase in and out throughout the season in there. And you see the same thing with how things grow and how things cycle. So... When it comes to sort of our grazing motif and how long we open up something to graze upon, we go with where we're at in that season and we go sort of, so at different times, grazing can happen for a week on one space. Mm-hmm. At other times, we'd let them in only for a short period, a, a day and pull them off. Yeah. Uh, it could happen like uh, during the summertime when we have drought periods yeah. where not, nothing's really moving along. It's pretty dormant. It's not growing. So our grazing is going to be off pasture. We're going to be giving them hay and their sprouts uh, as their diet over there. Kind of managing to the season and to those cycles in Mother Nature here that we see roll out throughout the season. And that really kind of determines our, our workload, what we're going to focus on, where is our effort going to go, yeah, uh, and kind of where we need to kind of nudge the edges in, in permaculture, so to speak. And it's, I'm, it's going to be a silly question, but... Gosh, David, this sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> there is work. It's not the absence of work, but we learn how to focus our efforts to maximize the efficiency of those efforts mm-hmm. and minimize the labor of, of okay. those efforts. So, for example, uh, in order to have a, a very resilient mountain meadow out here, we have to control what is buffering that mountain meadow. What's What borders that meadow? Mm-hmm. Is the meadow going to be bordered by pine trees? And if so, we're going to get a lot of acidification from pine needles and piney mm-hmm. stuff coming okay. into our meadow here. And that's going to tip the balance away from resiliency because of that acidifying nature of a secondary growth uh, forest against a meadow. Interesting. So that edge, though, that forest edge we nudge it a little bit. And the way we nudge it is by pushing back those secondary growth pine elements mm. by cutting down the saplings, all the, all the uh, small evergreen trees mm-hmm. along that edge. We cut those down. We don't do it as a clear cut. We do it over, over the winter time. We start clearing all those shorter sapling trees out there, about two or three per week. And the reason we do it at that pace is because we drag them over. That's part of the winter diet of the alpacas. Oh, is it? But by removing it from that edge, uh, near that forest edge at the border of the meadow, we allow, instead of the pine trees to grow in, we allow the deciduous primary growth forest trees to grow in. The alders, the cottonwoods, the vine maples. And instead of pine stuff, which acidifies into our meadow, we now have replaced that by a little Christmas tree hunting, uh, or, uh, which we then feed to the alpacas. But hmm. we replace that border then with primary growth forest, which gives us leaf mulch. 
because in ah. the fall they lose their leaves and mm -hmm. that falls into our pasture and that kind of feeds the pasture. Yeah. So just by changing a little dynamic at the edge of a meadow, we can have a maximum maximum impact yeah. to the resiliency of that. And hey, by the way, we've just harvested a few trees that we can feed to the alpacas. And yeah. in doing so in the wintertime, those hard trees, they eat the bark off of it. They eat all the pine needles. The bark really? has a source of pycnogenol, which is a natural immune booster and parasite and dewormer. They eat the pine needles, which is a digestive aid and also a dewormer and parasite control. Oh, man. So they're, they're getting great benefit from chewing on those pine trees. The best part, when they eat the bark off those pine trees, we, we bring them those pine saplings, uh -huh. is it helps float those teeth. It trims their front lawnmower teeth down. Oh. Prevents me from having to kind of grind yeah. them down on the shearing time. So it gives them a challenge in their diet over the wintertime when they're off pasture. And they're getting only hay and their fresh sprouts for mm -hmm. uh, their diet. So here come some pine trees, which give them something tough to chew on yeah. and kind of trim those teeth as well. Like when you give all, your hamster one of those hamster chews. Yeah, like, all remember? under the guise of just doing nudging an edge at the forest there yeah. to make our meadow more resilient. And we got that benefit of pine trees to feed our animals to help trim teeth in the wintertime as well. Very clever. That's yeah. very clever. So these these things, like these little pockets of knowledge that you have, these were things that you learned that you, did you? Like, yeah, we have, have definitely, yeah. it was an evolving thing okay. over time. Uh, as our maturity evolved, we were always, to speak in IT com corporate language, mm -hmm. we were doing continuous process improvement. We were, <laughs> that is very corporate. We're doing, yes. no pun intended, but we're doing root cause analysis out here. We're I managing defects. We're yeah. doing everything you're doing in IT to kind of continuously improve software. But in here, our software is sort of a mountain meadow yeah. uh, ecology. So we're continuously improving in ecology. But we're doing all those same yeah. tasks that you would see in an IT skill set. I mean, that's such a that's such an important and beautiful way of looking at not just how you run this business and run your farm and these animals, but just like in general, like how can you do that more efficiently how can you make it more enjoyable for yourself and more pro profitable not necessarily for like money profit but just soul profitable for yourself which is and a lot of that is yeah. to also avoid these stresses and anxieties that you can have because here not only are we, are we running a farm under the auspices of permaculture but that farm is also open to the public yes. we have a whole other livestock out here and it's people <laughs> And we literally are a, uh, operating as a campground. So you have this hospitality yeah. component, very forward facing. So mm -hmm. all of our operational procedures have to be optimized, not only to give us a consistent and repeatable customer experience, yeah. but also to avoid the stress and burnout of us as hosts yeah. here doing this and offering this service to the public. We don't want to get burned out kind of, uh, you know, running a campground we want to be you know it's supposed to be easy to do yeah and bring people on board here so we try to design all of that we've actually had to evolve our approaches all uh mm -hmm. at the continuous process improvement really to kind of get to that evolved state where everything's sort of fine-tuned and running like a smooth running machine and yeah. now we just again have to nudge it keep it in balance and you you do such a beautiful job of of showing and telling your guests like how to enjoy this space because it's a beautiful i mean the view is beautiful the yurt is lovely the camping spaces are like our prime camping spaces the bathrooms 
Everybody, they have flushing bathrooms here. So if you want to... Very convenient. It's so convenient. And there's a shower. We make camping yeah. easier. Yeah, so much easier. And it's lovely. Um, but yet, but I love how you spoke, because when Patrick and I were here before, how you spoke about the how, how, to, how to treat the alpaca, like how to exist with them, like they're touch adverse and like... All of these things, so I'm these. All these things have stuck with me, and they're in my mind. And so you have beautifully trained, hopefully, your human component to also behave well. We hope and that every person, yeah, well. <laughs> every, we hope every person that comes to visit us leaves with some sort of nugget of knowledge. Yeah, and we realize that uh, being in this position that we are in as a demonstration farm, yeah, we are influencing. Kids that have never seen a carrot pulled out of a ground uh, or, uh, you know, uh, older folks who have uh, not connected uh, their consumer experience back to the farm. Uh, we're trying to do that, make all those things approachable uh, to that yeah. farm experience and connect it to that consumer, but also uh, be a source of inspiration and so that you can see things, see these, these natural elements. Uh, you know, it's sort of funny because... In the front of our barn space, we have two paddocks, which I'm sure you've noticed. There's a mosh pit of green out there. It's gone bonkers since this spring when we were here. there's lots of stuff growing out there. And most people, they look at that and all they see is just a mosh pit of green. Yeah. And they stop right there because they can't get past that. This is just a huge space with lots <laughs> of stuff growing in it. And it looks chaotic and frenetic out there. But then you look closer and you realize, oh, that's a garden there. It's got <laughs> veggies. It's got lots of things in there. And until you start kind of looking at it at a little bit more granular level, then you recognize there's a story afoot here. There's something going on. It's just not a, a mosh pit of weeds that are out here or things going crazy. Uh, sometimes people come on to our site and they expect to see these manicured golf course type lawns. Uh. And I'm like, no, <laughs> we don't even own a lawnmower here. If we're going to cut grass, we're going to let that grass grow entirely first to get seed on the top of it, and then we're gonna sickle bar harvest it. So all my cut grasses out here actually have been harvested as part of a cutting what? to go back out to our meadows to seed our meadows and bring carbon massing out there. Those sequestered carbon of yeah. the seed stalks and the, the grass seed heads go to serve our meadows. And this front area here that is all grown over with chicory and tall grasses, uh -huh. that's a seed bank for all of our meadows. It'll eventually get all harvested and get cut back down. You'll see a cut grass area again. But it looks huh. nothing like your traditional lawn, and we don't treat it as such. Well, it's more versatile than that. It's not yeah. for aesthetic like perfection. It's Yeah, it's got it's, pragmatic it's, it's, function. Yeah, it's yeah, useful. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's got usefulness, right? When you say six do you mean like a thing like the like the Grim right? Reaper has? Like the Grim Reaper has, <laughs> except it's a modern day update. Imagine, okay. if you will, uh, an electric hedge clipper. You know what those look like? I do. You I know, do. The kind of like the sawtooth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now imagine that attached to a weed whacker. Just uh, that. And, Dang. And now I've got a hedge clipper at the bottom of a weed whacker acting like a sickle bar so I can just oh. hedge clip all those grasses. And we can roll them up. We can actually roll all the grasses we cut that way. Uh -huh. Put it in a wheelbarrow. Take it down. Sometimes we'll feed the alpacas with it. Okay. Sometimes it goes directly out to our fields as the seed bank we were just talking about. <laughs> okay. So everything you're right has a purpose. These are called stacking functions in permaculture. Okay. So one thing be begins and then 
it's useful for for multiple for multiple reasons. Exactly, multiple reasons, and it's very integrated with the rest of the operation of the farm. That's amazing. Oh, I also wanted to mention um, when my family and I got here, it said uh, the staff is at the roundhouse. Follow chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> That's so. right. We are a working farm here. A lot of people come out here to camp, but they got to remember we're camping. We're actually on a working farm. Yeah, you're working. And we are. We're out there chainsawing, harvesting wood rounds, taking trees down that need to be taken down. Maybe they got pine beetles or they're dead and they're going to come down for the health of the forest. But yeah. we're harvesting our own firewood. You're sitting right in front of our wood stove yeah, here. I'm we heat that. this house in the wintertime with the wood we harvest from the land. So... We're out here in the summertime cutting our firewood rounds and collecting firewood. So. Yeah. And then later on, we get all those rounds up here. You can come up if you want and help us split it. Back. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I would be really interested. Just and we, yes, we use an electric splitter. No. Oh, then forget it. For, I want to get that wedge No, thing. No wedge accent. Yeah. <laughs> a little easier. A little plug, in, okay. plug in the splitter. Put the logger. There you go to town. <laughs> okay. That sounds really fun. Actually, all of it. All of it is fascinating. I can't imagine the amount of time it takes, like every day. Like it's a true dedication. It's a, I'm hoping, I'm assuming it's a labor of love. And well, and like of- I said, luckily with permaculture, our workload is greatly reduced in a manner compared to say conventional farming practices. Okay. So again, mother nature's doing much of the work here. I still have to go pull weeds out there. But my weeding is a focused effort just in front of my barn mm-hmm. rather than in in 17 acres of land because yeah. of the way we sequester all of our hay debris, which is the biggest contamination for weed vectors on our farm, is the, the hay that brings weed seeds from other farms. Oh. So we've incorporated practices that allow us to contain those kinds of things and focus our efforts to remove the weeds only in the spots where we sequestered the hay. Yeah. And then we give competition to that by putting the garden paddock in place that yeah. competes with any remaining weeds that grow up in there. So again, there's effort. Mm -hmm. But our effort is tailored to maximize its efficiency and minimize the sheer amount of redundant labor we would be putting forth otherwise. Um, do you, and I'm assuming you eat the vegetables and the things that grow here? Yeah, that's or? kind of a byproduct of what okay. we're doing here in land, <laughs> in land production. We get some veggies from it. So okay. yeah, uh, in terms of competing with those weeds in that garden paddock, throwing in a zucchini plant allows us a lot, nice big coveraging, you know, with those giant leaves there mm-hmm. that it has, that it outcompetes the weeds around there. And hey, I get zucchinis. Hey, you get zucchinis. Yeah, I got Eat. peas that are ready for picking over there and pole beans as well. Oh, nice. And there's some tomato plants that we transplant in there. As, as well as cucumbers and things like that. The sunflowers look amazing. Yeah, notice where they're at. They're at the edge here in a, a hedgerow. Yeah. Uh, just like another edge that has our parking area, This e- these edges are des- designed to prevent that uh, active seed banking, growing grasses all to seed there in the chicory. Mm-hmm. All that's preventing that from spreading outwards into the border of the, the, the parking areas that border there. So in between the parking area and this active meadow that is growing tall grasses with seeds, you're gonna notice two grow beds. One grow bed turned into that sunflower hedge. Uh-huh. That's a hedge to kind of give us a yeah. border like that, a very defined border yeah. of sunflowers right there. And it's right pretty. There. And it's pretty. Yeah. Like I said, it's the selfie wall. The other border. <laughs> It is a selfie wall. Yeah, the other border that we have is right on the other side with the parking, and that's a potato bed. So that 
uh, road okay. gets dug every year. And that actually is, again, a nice edge that prevents the encroachment of this active meadow into the parking area, making the parking area very easy to maintain. Yeah. There are just so many things are always happening. Lots of layers. <laughs> Lots yeah. of layers. Lots of things happening beyond just the surface uh, view of all green. <laughs> yeah, because when, you, when you're just a guest, such as myself, and I'm just sitting out there enjoying wine and looking out at the beautiful mountain and the chickens are wandering around the alpaca, I don't notice all of this hard work. I just see how beautiful it's it so is. It's so funny because most people don't realize <laughs> that they're actually looking at a very cultivated look. Yeah. And there's that word, cultivation, right? Yeah. We are actually cultivating a look out here. But it's not a look that is cultivated just by simply mowing a lawn. Yeah. It's a, an, a look here, like, again, this active meadow that looks like an overgrown field of grasses. Mm -hmm. What you don't see in there is just as important as what you're seeing. And what you don't see in there is bracken fern blackberry and salmonberry or any other thorny I vines. I love salmonberry. We pull all those out of the front meadow here because yeah. they're too much competition for a meadow. They shouldn't yeah. be in a meadow. Those things, blackberry and salmonberry, are precursor elements to the primary growth forest. They're part of forest. Ah. So when they come into a meadow, they're actually get turning into... Exactly, get yeah. out of So we've pulled all that. We've had to pull all the blackberry, yeah. all the salmonberry, all the bracken fern from this very active meadow you're seeing in the front yard here, yeah. which has tall grasses and chicory going to see. Because otherwise well. it's going to crash the party, right? Exactly. Yeah. Otherwise it's going to take us to forest rather than keep us at meadow. Okay. And you work so hard to get out of the forest. Right. <laughs> To keep the forest in its proper to, place. Yeah, to, yeah, to at scoot, the edge. To yes. scoot it at away. At the edge of the meadow. It's got to border the meadow. Yes. So we got to work hard to keep, yes, it all pushed back. Exactly. <laughs> and that does take effort. Yes. Well, it's always, it's, she's always coming at you, Mother Nature. Um, what, so you chose, I'll talk about alpacas for a minute because um, I love them. And you said you, you liked them. You needed an animal that was going to be... The alpaca, which is native to the Altiplano region of South America. Think mm -hmm. of that. That's a 15,000-foot elevation, high desert. Dang. Sparse forage, yeah. cold weather, dry, super cold. These animals are attenuated with their genetics to suit that area. Yeah. So bringing them into the western Washington Cascade Slopes was easy peasy. This is paradise for them. Yeah. So they're perfectly suitable for the mountain meadow. They're very light on the land animals. They don't have hooves on their feet. They have paws like a dog. They have padded That's feet. That's true. They do have little paws. So they actually are very are light. two paws? Two claws. Two claws. Two claws on a padded foot. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very uh, neat to see those animals. They're very cute. Easy to manage, easy to handle. Uh, they truly were a very light on the land sort of livestock mm -hmm. in terms of management practices and everything you need to do with the animal. They were super hardy. So you're going to hardly ever have a sick animal. You're going to have a very easy to manage animal. And are they chill with each other? Like they're pretty easy going? Or? Yeah, yeah. They're very uh, good with each other here. We do have a temperament that we're trying to sort of make sure that the herd... Uh, you know, maintains. We don't mm -hmm. want to develop an aggressive herd, for example. Yes. <laughs> that would work against us. But yeah. they are all boys, and we do allow them to kind of be boys. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is to develop that hierarchy in a, that you would see in a herd. I like to tease their... There's a, they're a herd of alpacas, but they're like a, a high school class of freshmen, sophomores, <laughs> juniors, and seniors. Okay. They all sort of have their spot in their herd uh, that's based on that seniority. Yeah. 
And how long have you had some of these guys? How, how long? Going on, some of them are, are going on 10, 12 years now. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, and they reach a point here where we do cull from the herd. Okay. All these boys, as I mentioned earlier, are rejects from mm-hmm. breeder herds. They would have been put down early in their life, serving no purpose to the breeder. We raise them until such time that they're no longer paying the rent by uh, growing a usable staple length of fiber from shearing to shearing. Mm-hmm. Once that happens, it usually coincides with their geriatric phase of life. They're mm-hmm. actually starting to fall behind the herd a little bit okay. more. And you see that. You see them sort of falling behind, going slower. Mm-hmm. The cautionary tale is that if i don't take on that mantle of responsibility as shepherd and know when to cull those weaker animals Mm -hmm. the rest of the herd may turn on them and do it for me and that would uh, develop an aggressive temperament in the herd so we have to take on that mantle of responsibility i've got a guy there that's 14 years old i've had him for 10 11 years Mm -hmm. and i gotta cull him from the herd this year because it's his time but that's okay because it makes room in our herd to uh, bring other young uh, animals yeah. on board that would have never gotten a shot at a long life. So it kind of fills a much needed niche in the alpaca industry. And when we do cull them, we use their meats, we tan their pelts here, everything gets used from that animal. Yeah. And that's just fact of life. You have to know how to properly cull a herd animal yeah. uh, if you're going to get into this business. Uh, that's the role of a shepherd. Yeah. That's a, that's a huge responsibility, and it's very important. I mean, it's for the health of the pack and the animal. And, I mean, I, sunrise, sunset. I mean, tis yeah. the circle of life. How we, and how we yeah. approach it is very reverent out here. And, we, again, yeah. we don't make no bones about it. It's This is what it is and yeah. how we approach it, and it's got to happen. So, but yeah. every last... Yeah. Livestock begets dead stock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a beautiful way of saying that. <laughs> You'll either realize a return on the investment or you'll get meat in your freezer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, what are you going to do? Right. Exactly. It really is. And I I guess what I I love about this and uh, like when kids or people see like, oh my gosh, a potato out of the earth, um, how important it is to see it and understand it and respect it and know Mm -hmm. where it's coming from. And close that gap. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And really sort of uh, dispel a lot of myths and uh, misinformation. Did I mention we don't buy processed foods for any of our animals here? You haven't, but now that's a good time to bring it up. Yeah, Yeah, so we don't go to the store and buy bags of chicken feed for any of these chickens, nor do we go to the store and buy bags of alpaca pellets for any of the alpacas. And that is something that you just see at any farm you go to that has chickens and alpacas. They would hand you a handful of pellets and say, here, hold this out, and the alpacas will eat from you. We just don't have any of those processed foods here at the ranch. We buy the raw material they use Uh. to make those pellets. That is the grain, barley. We buy barley and hay. Those are two raw materials to our farm. We buy that by the ton. So we buy barley, about four tons of it per year, which you'd never see four tons of pellets at a farm because they can't last that long. Yeah, they won't keep. They just don't keep. They'll go stale and moldy. But you can keep grain pretty easily. It's a grain. It's nature's (laughs) seed fault. It's meant to be stored, then planted. But what we do with it is we sprout it. So our chickens and poultry are raised on a four-day barley sprout, which unlocks a lot of that locked-up insoluble nutrition in the grain, makes it all available to them, and makes increases the digestion uh, from 20% digestible to 90% digestibility for uh, via sprouting. So a four-day sprout is how we raise our meat chickens and get those big turkeys. Mm-hmm. And a nine-day sprout 
we raise of the barley in a special grow room uh, that harvests 90 to 100 pounds of barley microgreens per day during the wintertime to feed the herd hay and barley sprouts during their off pasture season. That's so, so everything's much. very much done naturally here. Yeah. Hay and uh, barley and the barley gets sprouted and we serve them fresh microgreens. Imagine this. It's a winter day <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's cold and dreary in the Pacific rainy northwest here. 36, 38 degrees maybe outside okay. and it's rainy, it's dreary and you've gone down to do your morning chores at the barn and you're picking up wet poop piles Ugh. and throwing it all into there and you're done with that wet chores <laughs> outside. You come inside the barn, you go up to this grow room inside the barn, a secret room in the barn. It's about 12 by 12. On this dreary day, you step inside and it's brightly lit. It's 60 degrees. It's got a little space heater in there to keep it at 60 to 65 degrees. And you smell cucumber smell, fresh greens in the air. And it smells, it's it's nice and bright. So on this winter day, I go into that room. It's sort of like an anti-winter depressive syndrome room. Yes. Seasonal affective disorder. You spend 15 minutes in that room and you're happy as a clam because of the lighting in there. You're warm and it smells like spring. And and that's about the length of the chores it takes in that room is about 15 minutes. After I'm done in that room, I've got 90 to 100 pounds of barley microgreens coming out. And uh, it's feeding to the herd, their their daily breakfast. And when I take that out of the room, down to them to feed outside in their feeders on that cold day, those sprouts coming out of the, that room are steaming. Oh, I'm sure. And it's like, it's like fresh cookies. In, yeah, they're tucking into a hot bowl of oatmeal is what they're oh. doing down there. They love it. So imagine getting hot sprouts on <laughs> cold winter day. Yes, these animals are spoiled for sure. I was going to say, they... They are living a lovely life. That sounds, it sounds exactly like comfort food. Like, it's cold and dreary. I wish I had some stew. Or like you said, oatmeal. Exactly, exactly. That sounds lovely. And they're all, they're all so handsome. They're all, like your animals, I think, are living, living their best life. I they love. are living a pampered life. That yeah. is for sure. Uh, yeah. And again, uh, it's permaculture that has allowed that to kind of be easy for on the human to do mm-hmm. that as well as uh, abundant in nature for the animals to take advantage of as well. And you wanted to do this permaculture and farm. So I guess, I guess was it something that you wanted to ha- be educational for the public? You wanted to do this just for yourself? You wanted well, to take on a new challenge? Part of Why? this was how did we package this campground? How do we set that pastoral right. scene? Okay. So, and so we decided the reinvention of a family farm would, was a great way to do okay. that. We had no idea that we would actually create this monster of a demonstration farm and be positioned to actually edutain, as I like to say, the public here, um, to really toss out a lot of education and win awards. We've won Commercial Farm of the Year from our conservation district for a couple of years there. Well done! And so that has positioned us to sort of be inspirational and, and again, uh, really present to the public this... Uh, what a natural farm can be, and that you could do it, that you can, yeah. it can actually be done and not be a, a life-draining experience as well. Yeah, because you also seem to have a lot of fun like chatting with your guests, and you've been a wonderful host to me twice now. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, I've been here now twice in the same year, and Patrick and I are coming up with a plan, and like we want to rent the whole place and throw a big party. Yeah, like, right on. Like, this, this is such a... Private ranch rentals are great out here. It's... I mean, it's so it's so beautiful and relaxing and well equipped and 
the fancy camping, like I, like I said, I brought my cousin who was like, I don't, don't make me go camping, but I'm like, I promise this is different. I promise you will love your ranch house. You will have your go guest room. Guest room yeah. inside the house. That's right. We offer yeah. a range of accommodations because yeah. we wanted to make camping accessible. We're on a national scenic byway that is known for primitive campgrounds. You're basically renting yeah. a dirt space on the ground with a campfire ring and that's it. Pitch your tent on the dirt, you're gonna go put up a tarp if it rains, right? <laughs> we wanted to make camping easier, more approachable, and yeah. based on our experience with uh, staying in a yurt, which we fell in love with, there's just something recentering mm-hmm. and uh, spiritually centering about staying in that yurt that has you nesting almost in there, Yeah. Uh, that we thought bringing to the public. What really turned our, 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 our uh, you know, wheels onto yurt here was the fact that campgrounds bringing yurts onto their property saw a huge increase in their revenue stream so we're yeah. like wow there's definitely oh that's right yeah there's yeah, definitely yeah. a business plan here so that's sort of how we wrote it all to kind of uh really compete with an existing traffic load mm-hmm. that was not being captured and do that on the reinvention of a family farm since we're sort of not located on the river mm-hmm. or you know some other campground feature that, uh, that, that the National Forest campgrounds have. Yeah. We wanted our feature to be this farm experience. Yeah. And boy, has it taken off. It really has. Uh, so we've got a lot of history here. we got a lot of example farming uh, demographics as well. We get a lot of hikers and outdoor recreational enthusiasts. So a lot of people are well served uh, via uh, the business that we've built. Yeah, I mean it's and it really is. You mentioned this accessibility. So much of camping because I like dirt camping too. That's 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 fine and well and good. Um, but for folks who aren't maybe as mobile or who have mm-hmm. harder mm-hmm. times doing things like or the new parents that now have two kids yeah. that used to do all the primitive camping and now they got two toddlers <laughs> around and want something a little easier. Yeah. Or maybe the seniors that used to do all the camping now don't want to kind of get on the ground because yeah. they're going to have a hard time getting back up off that ground. Yeah. <laughs> Let's give them a, a nice bed and something that is very tent-like. Uh, yeah. There. Your is just incredibly like a tent. Oh yeah. Um. So you have any funny or interesting stories with your journey or has anything surprised you? Oh, I would or? say the funniest stories we have is just sort of of the, you know, the various things that uh, are animal related that have happened out here at the farm. Uh, the most recent funny one was at yesterday uh, mm-hmm. down at the barn. Um, we decided I needed to cut a piece of wood, but there was an older blade on the table saw and it was sitting in the barn, so it kind of was very a little dull. Mm-hmm. So as I'm pushing the wood through the blade, I'm going, oh, it's starting to smoke, and it was really smoking into the barn. So I had a, the doors open in the barn, but smoke is going everywhere. everywhere. It's like burning wood, you know, smoke, like you're smelling <laughs> a campfire. Yeah. And it's just the blade on the table saw kind of burning the wood as it's cutting it because it's a little dull. Yeah. And that smoke filled up the barn. There was so much so that there was a rat. <gasps> hidden in the rafter above me that got smoked out by the smoke fell down from the rafter and that's why I saw it. I'm like, oh, look, a rat just fell from the sky here. (laughs) I just saw that. I wasn't the only one who saw that because around me, Watching me at this table saw, I've got very curious animals. The chickens come running over whenever they hear loud noise. They're not scared by anything. They oh. want to come see what's going on. Oh, they're nosy. And so here these nosy chickens are standing at the door of the barn when this rat falls from the rafter in front of them <laughs> with a shout of a chicken shout of, Oh, look, mana from heaven. They all descended upon it. 
And these little feather veloci- feathered velociraptors tore it from limb to limb <coughs> and devoured it entirely. <coughs> Meanwhile, I'm trying to cut wood over here. <laughs> so yeah, those are kind of the, some of the fun ex- experiences. You're like, oh yeah, look at those chickens devouring that rat there. And that, it was gone. I'm telling you, my eggs will be especially rich this week. I'm sure. <laughs> so that yeah. is that is both a nightmare for some people, fascinating for others. I'm I'm a little blend of both. I'm not a fan we, of rats from the sky. We, I, I tell you, it was an experience. I was like, oh, look, that's a new one. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Oh, look, the chickens are. De- oh, that's well, that's not no so new. I've seen chickens devour mice and songbirds before. Really? They are pretty good at. Uh, Controlling vermin on their own, that's for sure. You don't Good. think of that with a chicken, but oh yeah, they, they are feathered velociraptors, let that's me tell you. That's true. And on the other velociraptor front in terms of animal attacks, those alpacas are furried velociraptors oh. with their claws on the paws yeah. there. If any uh, four-legged animal like a coyote or a bobcat or mm-hmm. a cougar or a bear or a deer come onto this property, they sound a huge alarm call. Uh, it's the alpaca alert system. And one year, we had a bear. <gasps> bear came in from the woods because he loved our huckleberries that we were promoting against the fence line. Uh, and then when he hit those huckleberries, he didn't realize on the other side of the fence line was this herd of alpacas who saw him. And they started sounding the alarm. Which is the alpaca version of, hey, shouting to the bear, come over here and I'll cut you. <laughs> That bear climbed one of the tall pine trees you see out here and stayed up that pine tree for three hours. I had to lead the herd away to our lower acreage out of sight so that the bear would decide to come back down and then go back into the forest. So that's our bear story there. I got a video of it. It's on our our Facebook page. uh, You can actually see the video on our YouTube channel and Facebook page. I will link it. Of the bear visiting us. There there you go. Oh my gosh. That's so so amazing. I would, you you know, you think of these like they're quiet and they're stoic. You wouldn't think of them like, come on, come at me, bro. Yeah, they're pretty fierce. They are predator (laughs) control animals for sure. And that's on the animal front, the funny stories. We've got... uh, uh, on the people front, just as funny stories that I like to categorize as, as most of those people that come out here and they fall under the hashtag of city people. <laughs> I get it. Because they come out here and uh, they uh, respond to something like a couple of bugs or something like that. And they're like, oh my God, there's ants. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's part of our ecology. That that's outside for have you these insects here <laughs> or they see some things they're like those are just weeds why don't you cut these i'm like no that's chicory that's <laughs> growing and that's purposeful yeah. <laughs> so to kind of see the sort of upheaval that people have to go through and retuning yeah. their filters sometimes it can strike us as really funny because we'll see some uh, little anecdotes of people kind of having a reaction to something mm-hmm. and it makes us snicker because we're like <laughs> Oh, if they knew the truth behind that, they kind of would realize that they're being a little silly right now. <laughs> well, when I saw those crickets, I'm like, crickets? Oh, Sarah, relax. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. The insects are yeah. fun out here, but yeah. uh, people can, yeah. uh, they, they react to the strangest things at times out here. It's true. Yeah. It's true. It's also like what whatever is whatever's comfortable that's for right, you and right. like and that's again what's so you so are getting about out this. into a, a foreign element yeah uh, a forest uh, of uh, meadow architecture here, yeah and, when meadow, mo- and a one that you let mother- lots of nature everywhere yeah that mother nature's in charge of and you're just like how can i help you out girl like and yeah, harvest yeah. and harness her 
Lovely. Well, this has been an awesome conversation. Oh, I want to talk about Mucho. Mucho Mucho's a llama. So, so He's got, our big llama. We so do have, you, I want a llama, remember? You, you wanted a llama. I wanted a llama. We you actually got, we got my llama. Yes, his name is Mucho. Uh, we actually started with five llamas because we were going to do some hiking with them and lead oh. some uh, like walk a llama tours kind of thing okay. up the hill, down the river. Yeah. Ended up, we just said we're going to focus on alpacas, but we're okay. going to keep a llama for the guard llama. And we kept Mucho. Mm-hmm. And so Mucho's our guard llama out there. <laughs> and he's cool because he teaches the alpacas, alpacas the propensity and confidence to attack. Oh. So alpacas normally when they see something scary... They usually just circle the wagons and say, hey, take the weak one. Uh, whereas llamas go, hey, watch this. You can kind of come over here, flank around them, and attack them. Oh. So that's that's a llama who teaches them the confidence to attack. So yeah, Mucho out there. He doesn't need to be shorn every year. Llamas naturally get to a point where they shed their fiber. Oh, okay. They don't need the annual haircut like alpacas do. Yeah. But yeah, he definitely sets the tone and stage out there for the herd. He's, he's quite... Very dr- majestic. He's yeah. very majestic and dramatic. Yeah. Compared to, because right now your your lovely uh, alpacas are are shorn, so like they're, they're they're thin and and spin, not spindly, but they're you know they're thin, um, and he's just so fluffy and robust, and it just yeah you're he's... seeing the spindly little gazelles post shearing right now yeah they'll be big poof ball pandas come about the end of March yes. uh, next year oh I can't wait because apparently I'm coming here like every three months yeah this is what I'm gonna see the do. cycle of the seasons I want to see all the seasons yeah right on right awesome. on Sarah awesome well thank you so much for speaking with me and hosting us again yeah and absolutely anytime I, I that's what we're re- doing yeah I highly recommend everyone come to Pack a Pride come yeah, here Pack a Pride Guest Ranch Pack a Pride P-A-C-A-P-R-I-D-E dot com there you go <laughs> Find us online. Awesome. Thank you. (laughs) Beautiful.